to serve you all in the way of sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with you. Today, I want to run straight to the word. Would you open up your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5? Yes, and Lynn was talking about the Sermon on the Mount, and I just want to read one verse to start us off today, and it's verse 4, Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, which you'll see here on my sides as well. And the word of the Lord says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the promises that you shared with your people then and that you promise unto us now. Lord, would you use me in our house today to minister to the brokenhearted, to those of us who mourn freely, but especially to those of us who struggle to grieve, who avoid mourning. Holy Spirit, would your word not return void? That every ear who has the ability to hear, that they would listen today. That we would be both rebuked, but encouraged. Thank you, Jesus, for your word, and would you use me, Father? Use me, Lord, today. Receive me as an empty vessel and fill me up to deliver your word. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. I just told my mother when I was standing there that I felt nervous to preach today, and I don't know where that came from. And it's been an insane week for us, and I feel like you guys have probably heard me say that a million times. Week after week, it's like there's more added to the plate, and we're trying to navigate all of it, but somehow we get to Sunday, and somehow he speaks not just to you, but he speaks to me. For those of you who have never had the opportunity of standing up and preaching or sharing in a Bible study or leading in some ministry aspect, it is overwhelming. It is an emotional roller coaster. It is a spiritual roller coaster. Because as you're reading through these words, readying your heart, readying your body, your mind, your mouth, the words to preach the word of God, you realize that you don't really have what you're about to preach altogether in your own life. And yet, I have to stand up here and encourage you in this gospel, but I share that with you so that you understand that those of us who stand up here to preach, we are not kings. We are not above this. We struggle in all of this the same way that you guys do. We are just servants of the Almighty God. Broken, looking for healing, struggling with mourning like we're going to talk about right now. But we're going to do this together. The beautiful thing about community is that we do it together. I just shared with somebody this morning, and if you don't mind, I'm going to share out loud without a name. But if you're ever overwhelmed with your children, we should be the type of church that says, hey, I can bring my kids to the Badaraco house and leave them for an hour so I can get a breather and go to Target and walk around like my wife. <laughs> you laugh because you do that too. We're streaming live. I don't think I can say Target, but I'm open for endorsements if anybody needs. <laughs> but I would love for us to be that kind of community 
that it's not just, and you've heard me say this, and I'll never stop saying it, that it not just be a Sunday expression that we just show up so that we can feel good. Today we're talking about mourning. Very little about what we're going to talk about today is going to tickle you. And yet it also is part of the gospel. Perhaps you've heard me at some point talk about a song that I really don't like, but I understand why people do. And the song, in the beginning of the song, there's like an interlude where the singer says, the Lord breaks you, but he doesn't break you to hurt you. He breaks you gracefully, and he breaks you gently, and that is a lie. He's not interested in you feeling good. He's interested in you living right. And if he needs to break you, if he needs to take you from this earth, he will. We are still struggling to get out of this season of the pandemic. Just a few months ago, we still saw that people were dying and going into the hospital, and we're still struggling through this. Our minds are playing games on us. In the beginning, I was really scared, and now I think it's all fake, right? Maybe you're there. That's not the point of what we're talking about. Because what we do know is that there are those around us, maybe not immediately in our lives, but there are those around us who, during this time of the pandemic and the shutdown especially, there were people dying. My father works at a hospital nearby, and he would tell us the horrors of the freezer trucks that they had out back because that's where they were bringing the bodies. So what we do know was that in the last two years and change, right, so we're just short of two years formally, but it started before March 2020, that there has been a lot of loss. And even without covid there's always loss because that's a promise in life, to die. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The famous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking blessings unto those who are following him, and even to us today, because we have the beauty of the word of God here. Jesus rewards the kind of living that the Beatitudes talks about, right? So in Matthew chapter 5, we have eight Beatitudes that we're, gonna go, we're going to go through together in this sermon series called Blessed. Excuse me. And Jesus rewards the kind of living that these Beatitudes demonstrate. But the world would never celebrate these things. The beautiful thing about the Beatitudes is that we see Jesus doing something for us that we wouldn't see the world do for us. Last week we saw blessed are the poor in spirit. You'll never hear that in the world. Today it's blessed are those who mourn. How many times have you heard your friends tell you and celebrate you when you had the courage to mourn? If anything, when we're in the flesh and somebody else is crying, you're like, I can't wait till this is over. And yet Jesus, in these beatitudes, and it's at the top, and hopefully at the end of this sermon, you'll understand why he gets to mourning and grieving fast. In our inability to mourn and grieve the things that we've lost. And now I'm using the example of death, the physical and natural death of the body. But the truth is that there are many things that we lose. You've lost a job. You've lost perhaps opportunities. Like me, maybe you've been laid off, and it feels like the most invasive thing ever to be fired or laid off. You've lost dreams. 
from when you were younger and now you find yourself in the middle of your life realizing you never made it there. Or maybe you feel like you've lost time because you aren't as advanced in your life as you wish you would be. So what Jesus is talking about here in this beatitude is mourning and grieving as a whole, not just the loss of a loved one, but also the loss of a loved thing and opportunities. Why? Because mourning allows us the ability to move forward. Our inability to grieve and mourn are shackles that we place on ourselves. Mourning is a demonstration of trust. The world says, are you blessed when all your dreams come true? Excuse me, the world says you are blessed when all your dreams come true. You are blessed when everything goes your way. What Jesus says, said, happy are the sad and blessed are the brokenhearted. Once again, Jesus demonstrating to us that he doesn't move the way the world does. The world is waiting to applaud you only when you accomplish something and only when you do something good, whereas Jesus is waiting on you to have the courage to grieve and to mourn. Mourning takes courage. When we think about mourning and grieving, we tend to consider it to be a posture. We talked about postures last week, last week right? The posture of the humility to be able to recognize that we're poor in spirit but when we think about mourning in our flesh, we tend to think about the posture of weakness. Oh, you have to be strong is how we encourage one another in grieving, right? But then we see the Jew, where even till today and in ancient Jewish history and in their culture, we saw and we see them exercise, those who are practicing, we see them exercise something called sitting shiva. Have you heard that term before? So where someone who is of a, within the close-knit family, so immediate family, as we would say in our culture, when someone dies, they, as part of their culture and their faith expression and religion, they sit Shiva for seven days to sit and mourn. And what does sitting Shiva look like? Well, they, they wear appropriate clothing where at least something on their body has to be torn. They also have to, by custom, sit in low stools or what they call boxes. But the point is to sit low, that your outward expression would show what you're feeling on the inside. And during these seven days was the opportunity for the rest of the community. This is why Jews succeed, because they stick to one another. And this is what we should take. There's many things we shouldn't take from the Jewish customs, but this is one of those things that we should. They don't allow one another to stay down for too long. They're there to lift one another up. But they also recognize that it is important as part of their culture to encourage grieving and mourning. When was the last time you allowed yourself to mourn over something lost? And my follow-up question is, what haven't you mourned in your life appropriately? Mourning brings healing. And if you haven't mourned things, even though, right, because we like to say time heals all. But when you haven't mourned something that needed to be mourned, that was lost, that was significant to your life, it will come back up. 
your life will regurgitate the pain and the brokenness of that season because you never addressed it through grieving and mourning. So when you're looking to move forward, you're always stuck on the brokenness of that thing that you never mourned and grieved. Are we together? All of us have struggled in this. Struggling with things of our past that we haven't yet mourned and grieved, and so we haven't been able to move forward from. What are you mourning today, or what aren't you mourning today? So what does the word mourning mean? It's the practice of grieving, and I'll put it up here if they can, there's a slide. The practice of grieving through crying and vocalization, most typically for the loss of someone, keyword typically. Sometimes mourning also involved putting ash or dust on one's head. And I shared with you how sitting Shiva and in ancient culture, they would also sit in ash. And we see David doing this when he realizes that the son that he was fasting and praying over for, not, for God to save his son's life passes away. It was God's decision to bring a consequence unto David for committing the sin of taking someone's wife and killing the husband, the story of Bathsheba and Uriah, and the, one, of the, one of the consequences, because he had a line of consequences throughout his bloodline, but one of the consequences was him, for him to lose one of his sons. And so once he finds out that his son is lost, the Bible tells us that he goes into a space of mourning and grieving over his son. Even though he knew that it was a consequence from something that he did. And what does he do? He tears his sackcloth and he sits in ashes. Try to picture this. So this is what biblical mourning is referring to. But if I can highlight going back to these slides here to my sides, the practice of grieving through crying and vocalization. I think many of us struggle with sharing outwardly the fullness of our emotions. And when you're raised in this culture, especially these times where you're a man or a boy, growing up a boy, you're told that, hey, that's not something that we do. You guys saw me break down last week talking about our Lord Jesus Christ. And guess what? You're going to see a lot more times. If there's something that breaks me into tears is realizing that I have the privilege of being saved by the creator of the world. My, my, my heart can't contain it. Stop it. You're going to make me go again. <laughs> I can't. I, I don't, it doesn't make sense because I know my life. And I know where I'm not poor in spirit sometimes. And I know what I haven't grieved and I haven't mourned and the mistakes that I've made. So when I think about Jesus, it overwhelms my spirit. But here's an example. If we're talking about mourning, here's another example from David. Psalm Chapter 31, verse 9 and 10, David writes, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. David has an incredible way with words, outstanding way with words. But the reason for why he can share this depth of emotion with us through the Psalms is because he has humility. Because he's first realized the poorness of his spirit, 
He is able to come before the Father and say these types of words. Be gracious to me. Remember last week, he proclaimed to the Lord that he was what? Save me, a sinner. I know who I am. And he says, be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted grief. Has anyone ever cried tears so heavy that your eyes were burning? And no matter how hard you tried, you just couldn't stop not crying. But there's something almost innate in us, a governor inside of us that says, no, don't let yourself get there. But I remember being a boy and seeing my mother crawled over the altar at our church, the stage at our church, the platform, snot-nosed, heavy tears, crying out because she was doing the work alone of raising up two men in God crying out for her husband, who today you see sitting in these seats. Not today. He's not with us. He's coming back from a trip. But every Sunday you see my father seated right where Sean is. But my mother, my mother and the lady right next to her, Manatanita, will you raise your hand? I want to honor her for a moment because this woman has been blessing my life and my family's life since I was three years old. And here we are years later. She is an elder and she is in that seat still worshiping the Father and still being a support to me. But she was there, am I lying, when my mother would cry those heavy tears over her family. And in the same manner, my mother, when my grandmother, Toñita, was crying over her, the loss of her husband, who was a grandfather to us. But there's a season, of course, to recover and move forward but sometimes we rush to the recovery and we don't spend our time in the grieving i have to mourn this especially if it's something that really affected your life when it was present so why don't you go through the fullness of the recovery of the of the grieving and mourning when you've lost it jesus is saying blessed are those who mourn not weak are those who mourn he doesn't look at the mourning and the grieving and say, you don't trust me. No, in fact, he looks at those who are mourning and grieving and says, I see faith. I see trust. I see emotion because also when we mourn and we grieve, it proves what about our hearts? We have hearts that are soft. We don't have hearts that are stone. David demonstrates for us what grief and mourning look like and sound like. And he did this often and we see it often in scripture, friends. It is a proof to us, at least affirmed to us through Scripture, because we see our Bible heroes mourning and grieving. In John chapter 11, verse 35, the longest verse in all of Scripture, it says, Jesus wept. I know it's the shortest. I said the longest. Jesus wept. He took the space to mourn the loss of his friend, Lazarus. And when he came and he asked where his friend was and they showed him, 11, um, John chapter eleven thirty five 35 comes up and it says that Jesus wept. And check this out. Jesus obviously had the ability to bring back his friend. And he does so in the upcoming verses. He brings life back to his friend Lazarus and he resurrects him and pulls him out of death. But before he pulls him out of death, he takes a moment to mourn and to grieve. Friend, mourn 
and grieve. And let's be the type of church that encourages others to mourn and grieve. Where people feel like they don't have to do it by themselves. Where maybe we don't have in our culture sitting shiva. It's not something that we practice formally. But that we know when someone is hurting and grieving that we are present with them. That we are checking in on them. And I'm not saying I've done this the right way. I'm saying that I need to do better at this. But that doesn't change the fact that it is a promise in Scripture that we are to grieve and we are to mourn. Jesus mourned the death of his friend Lazarus, and so we have the freedom to mourn. You have freedom to mourn. Take that freedom. In this beatitude, it's the promise of Jesus that he blesses those who mourn. He doesn't just say it's good to mourn. He says blessed are those who who mourn, for they will what? They will be comforted. The promise, two promises. First, you're blessed if you mourn. Second, not only are you blessed if you mourn, but you will also be comforted. So the way this is framed out is beautiful because the comforting doesn't come from us. It says that you will be comforted. Not that you will find and claw for your own comfort, but I will be the one to comfort you. If you'll just trust me with the fullness of your emotions, I will comfort you. The Beatitudes is beautiful because of what I shared last week. And it's a promise to us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. It says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others as others do, who have no hope. Yes, we grieve, but we don't grieve like those who are lost. That is what Paul is saying here by using the phrasing about those who are asleep. It's not that they're actually asleep. It's that they are lost, that they don't know Jesus. They, they don't have a hope of a coming Christ. So when we mourn and we grieve, the reason why we have freedom is because we don't mourn the same way. We don't mourn to focus on the loss. We mourn because we have hope that the Lord will provide his comfort. And that's how today all of us who call ourselves believers and followers of Jesus and disciples like Lynn shared, we grieve with hope. We grieve to remember and honor the loss, but we also grieve to invite the hope of the comfort of Jesus Christ. So if you are in a situation, in a season of loss, allow yourself to grieve in order to be comforted, not just to be sad. Because a lot of us also find identity in grieving and becoming the town crier. You can almost hire them for your funerals because you know you'll get the drama just right. And maybe a lot of us know, know some of those folks. I detest funerals. I don't know anybody that likes them. But there's always that one person that, ah, right? Like, <laughs> like, I know we're all hurting, but like, but have you noticed a lot of that is show? So what God is calling us to is not a show. Show me how you can grieve and cry. No, it's let me see what your heart is feeling. What are you mourning today?
When was the last time you mourned? And then I ask you this question. So we've talked about the natural. And here's where it's going to get a little uncomfortable. What are you mourning? And the terrifying question is this. When was the last time that you mourned and you grieved your sin? When was the last time that you allowed yourself to be doubled over in grieving and tears for the things that you've done wrong to offend God? When you err and when you sin, do you allow yourself the space to be broken in grief for the things that you've done wrong? Scary question, right? Because I think for a lot of us, the answer is no. We just assume, hey, it's all right. I'll just apologize for that later and move on. I'm not talking about apologizing. I'm talking about grieving. That thing that we've now realized in the poorness of our spirit that needs Jesus. But what we like to do is like that prayer that we were talking about last week. Jesus, I thank you that you didn't make me like them. But when you finally realize, Lord, thank you for them, but I realize the poorness in my own spirit, what do we do with that? Do we then grieve the things that we've realized we struggle with in sin? It makes logical sense for us to grieve and mourn the people we've lost or the jobs we've lost or the bad diagnosis we've received or the marriage that feels rocky or is seemingly ended. But when was the last time that we forced ourselves to grieve over our own sin? Because this beatitude is also about the mourning of our sin. In the second letter from Paul to the Corinthians, he is rebuking and exhorting the people for their wickedness. And calling them to change and repentance. And he says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8 to 10. 2 Corinthians verse 8 says, For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you. Though only for a while. There's a comma there. Verse 9 says, As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. We got to get that last verse because it's still talking about mourning and grieving. For godly grief, two different types of grief, Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas, very short, worldly grief produces death. We don't grieve the same way. We grieve and mourn with hope. That's the believer and that's the world. This is our lesson regarding grieving our sin. As believers in Jesus, we must be sensitive to the sin in us and also around us. We must know the, how to differentiate when sin is knocking at our doorstep. When you're someone who is active in the spirit, not just the flesh, but active in the spirit in the Lord, you know how to differentiate something good or something that just looks good. And when we find ourselves cold and insensitive to sin... It's because sin has made us what? It's made us dull. Our, our hearts have started to turn from a heart of flesh to a heart of stone. 
where you've repeated the same wrong thing over and over again that it no longer affects you. And that's when you become insensitive and you just go about your motions. And friends, there are many of those in the church. We just go about our motions in Christianity. That's why this is not about a religion. Because a religion is just following a list of rules. When we're talking about relationship with sounds, a little, we may be sick of hearing the phrase, it's not about religion, it's about relationship. But it carries so much weight because our burden is on the relationship that we individually carry with God, with God not the people that we have to please in church. There's a big difference. Because I'd rather you not like me because you don't like what I preach on Sunday, but know that I am okay with the Father who sent me to preach. If you make a decision not to be here because I don't talk enough about the money in your pocket, that's on you. What I do know is that when we are faithful to the Lord Almighty, we don't miss a plate of food ever. And you know what? Even if we do, it was part of the plan. Because what's the worst thing that can happen? I die. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. The day that I die, I'll be better than you. You mourn for me a moment, but I'm doing all right. We grieve differently. Right? You, do you see the difference? For me to live is Christ. So that means that in my life, everything about my life is Christ and hope and goodness and light. But when I die, whoo, it's gain. It's not loss. When we grieve someone who we know was strong in the Lord, we grieve in hope because they are better than they were. When my uncle was dying just a few months back, I told you, and I stood up here and I cried tears over my uncle, but I also got to baptize him in his deathbed. So when I think about the pain of me losing him, I realize that it's selfish because he's better than I am right now. Paul says godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Where are you headed? Are you headed towards life or death? Towards comfort or damnation? You, 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 you know where you're headed. You know who you are. You know who you put your trust in. Yes, what I'm saying this morning may sound heavy this afternoon now. It's, it sounds heavy, right? Is it heavy? And I, I thank the Lord that we have such, such an amazing moment in worship to ready our hearts for this. Because just like we read over and over again in the Gospels, he who has an ear, let him hear. Is because these things are hard to hear. And I know that for some of you right now, this message about mourning and grieving is hitting at the, maybe the best time, but the worst time. Because you might be hurting over something that you've lost. And to hear it, and to hear God celebrate our grieving and our mourning may rub you the wrong way in your flesh. There is yet hope in you for the forgiveness of Christ. Mourn and grieve, not just for the things you've lost, but also for your sin. Remember what mourning produces. It produces blessing from God, and you receive what? His comfort. 
when you acknowledge the poorness in spirit and you grieve your own sin, it is promised unto you that he will comfort you. Yes, I know that you sinned. Yes, I know that you're broken, but I told you to grieve and mourn it, and so I promised you my comfort. When we grieve and we mourn our sin, it makes us feel like bad people, perhaps. Like, I'm not worthy of this. Well, let's establish once and for all that we are not worthy of anything from God. That's why it's freely given. Here's the good news. For those of us broken by losses of different kinds and for those of us who are mourning even our own sin, we have two additional phrases that David shares with us. In Psalm 147, verse 3, he says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up your wounds. A promise. In Psalm 34, verse 18, he says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit, you ever felt like your spirit was just demolished? Where am I going to grab the strength for another day? I don't even want to live anymore. I don't want to breathe anymore. The world is caving in on me. I'm crushed in spirit. But what's the promise? The promise for those of us who are near, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Today I stand here and I fight against all of those feelings of suicide that many of us have had. Where mental illness drives us to believe that the world would be better without us. That I'm sick of feeling the pain that I am feeling. I invite you not just to grieve your situation for attention's sake, but to grieve your situation for hope. To grieve your situation so that the blessing of God would come upon you and so that his comfort would come upon you. Mourning lasts but a moment, but his healing lasts forever. Let's bow our heads. Mm -hmm.